Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. In here. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Thessalonians. We are in the middle of a, of a series titled The Model Church. Somebody say The Model Church. You know, there is a way that the church is to function. And in the letter that Paul writes to the people in the church in Thessalonica, we find here perhaps the greatest example of how a church should look. And, you know, our senior pastor, my dad, did such a great job of breaking down the, the scriptures in chapter 1 about what it looks like to have a church that has influential people who are not only influential in the church, but outside the church. How many believe that God didn't ask you to, to live out your faith in this room? God asked you to live out your faith out there. Amen? So, and then the second week, we looked at chapter two, which was that there has to be influential leaders. And so whether you're watching it online and you attend another church or whether you're here just joining us, you've got to ask yourself, does my church have leaders like what's laid out in 1 Thessalonians chapter two? And so uh, today, what I want to look at, because, you know, Paul is so eager to know what is going on with the people in, in Thessalonica. He, he established the church. He planted a church. But then he had to leave. And he had this tremendous care. He, he wanted to. Do you have a care for something? You ever care for something so bad? It, it like, caused you to cry. It caused you to bleed. It caused you to, to do anything and everything to be there. You, you ever had a care like that? Like, I care so much for my cat, said nobody ever, you know. I, I, just, I care, I care for my, <laughs> sorry, it's an early cat joke, but, uh, but I, I just care so, so much. You know, we are, uh, my wife and I are about a few months away from having our third child. Who, who would have thought a God would entrust me with kids? I don't know. Because I'm still a kid, and I'm now raised, so I got two little boys, and we're welcoming a little girl. And so uh, I just pray that she is calm and, you know, peaceful and loving, you know, like all girls are. And uh, so I'm just, uh, <laughs> my kids, my boys are crazy. So I'm just, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, we're really excited and we're so thankful. And I will say, I'm, I'm so, we're so blessed that God has given us children because I know that some people can't. And my wife and I walked through two miscarriages. So I know what it's like to experience loss. Thankfully, God has entrusted us with another one and we're still praying for a healthy pregnancy, but um, I'm just, I can't wait to have a girl. Oh my gosh, it's gonna, I hear it's going to change my world, maybe. So uh, you know, I go into the closet the other day because uh, I had to redo the closet because girls have a lot of clothes. You know, guys, we just had one thing and now I gotta, we got to have three. And so, uh, you know, I did the man thing once a year where I drilled some nails into the wall. And so I was like, I felt, I felt like a man. And then I showed up the next day as my wife just filled the whole thing with uh, clothes and I walk in there and everything is pink. And I'm like, I've gone from, you know, balls everywhere, soccer balls, baseballs, everything, bats. I've gone from now, cars, now, now I wonder what toys I'm going to find in the house now. And uh, everything's pink. And don't get me wrong, I love pink. In fact, my mom, you know this, mom, where are you at? Uh, there you are, mom. Um, when I was in eighth grade, my favorite color was pink. I had, a, I had a pink cast, I had a pink backpack, I had a pink polo from Hollister. You know? I was, uh, pink was my, <laughs> pink was, pink was my... <laughs> <laughs> uh, pink was my color. I was playing sports, all right? I was playing, I was, I was a man, but I just, 
That's why I respect men who wear pink. Come on. Let's go. Amen. <laughs> Andy's rocking a pink hat over here. I was like, yes, this is going to be so great for my... I'm all about pink, but just as I've gotten older, I just, I like black. I like gray, you know, the, the pretty colors. That's what I like. And so I'm like, where's the black dresses? Where's the black clothes? We've got to fill this closet up. Let's, come on, let's go. And so I'm just, it's just, who knows what my life is going to, you know, turn into uh, after this girl. Um, you know, I say all that to say is when, when you, the more pregnant you get, the more challenging it is to do things, right? Those of you who know have kids, the more pregnant you get, the more easy tasks become a little bit more challenging, like getting off, you know, the couch. It just, you know, at some point you're just, you know, it's like, and so my wife will sit on the couch and, you know, and she'll be like, Jacob, I need you to get me something. And we're there watching TV. I'm watching the game. And she's like, hey, can you help me? I just, I need some, I'm exhausted from watching two kids all day. And uh, now you show up and I need you to help me with one thing. She's like, can you do something for me? And this is my response almost every time. I will. But can it wait till the commercial? I will, but can it wait till the... And she, she's like, Jacob, you know, being pregnant, hormones are probably everywhere. Jacob, do you even care about your pregnant wife? I do, but, you know, that's a, that's a you never say. I do, but I, I can but I, I want to, but can, it, but can it wait till the commercial? You see, here's the thing. I, I want to help, but I clearly have not made an effort to help. I really care, but I have not made an effort to show that I care. And so I just share these things because I'm learning. I, I'm still like trying to figure out how to father, trying to figure out how to husband. You know, I'm just trying to figure it all, how, how, to, how to do it all. And so I'm praying a lot and thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness, especially for my wife. But I'm trying to figure, I've just, she's asking, do you even care? about your pregnant wife. And so I wanna ask you a question today and here's the title of the message if you're taking notes. Do you even care? Do you even care? And what we're gonna find here in the, the latter half of chapter two of 1 Thessalonians and the first 10 verses in chapter three is we're gonna find out that there are people, there are leaders, and there is a church that cares. So Father, we just thank you, we love you. Lord, would you bless this time? Would you allow us to have eyes like you and ears like you? And Father, would it be your words? Because frankly, mine aren't gonna do much. And so we ask that your words would do a whole lot. Would it allow us to walk out of these doors with maybe a, some just being reminded of who you are and what you've called us to do? And as a church, VLC, would we cling on to the example here in Thessalonica of what a church should look like and how a church should care? Bless this time. And Jesus' name, everybody sit. Amen. Ask the person next to you, do you even care about me sitting next to you? Do you really care? Um, so let me give you some context as you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, Paul and Silas are bringing this message to Jesus, of Jesus, to the city of Thessalonica. And uh, Paul and Silas are having a little bit of a challenging time because you know, they're going to the synagogues and they're preaching about the Messiah, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And just so you know, Paul's assignment was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but he, all, he always started with the Jews first. This is why he started in the synagogue. And so there, there were some that, you know, there were many that, that repented and changed and started to believe, but there were also some that didn't. And the ones that didn't wanted to make a scene. And they're like, Paul, we don't want you here. We don't want your radical preaching. We don't want this message of the Messiah. Get out of here. And eventually, 
um, he had to flee to Berea. And when he went to Berea, he did the same thing. He went to the synagogues and he did the same thing. And the Jews in Thessalonica were like, is he doing the same thing over there? Let's rally up some Jews. Let's get over there and kick him out. And eventually he goes to, to Athens. In fact, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, Luke does a really good job of explaining this in detail of what goes on with this pursuit to get Paul out of Thessalonica and, and out of Berea. And so although his time in Thessalonica was short, he still had, he still had an eagerness to know what was going on. He, he, he wanted to know. He, he, was, he, was, he was there for a little bit. He established something, and, and then he had to get out. So look at verse 17 with me. And this is what happened, and we'll, we'll hear about his eagerness. He said, but, but brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to what? What's it say? See you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan stopped us. He said, I was so eager to, to get back to just see how you were. You know, just imagine the coach shows up or a new boss shows up. They kind of lay the ground rules. You know, they build on the team. And then a week later, they're out. They're gone. You never see them again. And you're like, well, what do we do? Do we continue that? Or, or do we stop it? Do we still follow? Do we come up with a new playbook? Do we try and find somebody else? What, what do we do? And this is what Paul is assuming. He's saying, I, I want to see you, but I can't see you. Why? Because verse 18 says, because Satan is stopping me. Why was, why was Satan stopping Paul? He didn't, he didn't expand upon it, but here's what I do know. As soon as you start doing things for the Lord, the enemy starts doing things to you. As soon as you start living for the Lord, the enemy starts living to destroy you. Come on, as soon as you say, you know what, I'm going to start living right. As soon as you say, I'm not going to compromise anymore. As soon as you say, you know what, I'm going to do the things of God. I'm going to live out the plans of God. The enemy now has plans to stop you. And so we don't know why Paul couldn't come. All we know is that Satan was stopping him. Satan didn't want him to get to where he was going. Satan didn't want him to get him back to the church that he established. Satan was like, not on my watch. And so Paul's like, I, I, I want to I be there, but clearly Satan is not allowing me to be here. He's stopping me. But can, can I tell you what he said in Romans chapter 8? He said that God, or, or sorry, Romans chapter 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Come on, somebody say amen to that. The God of peace will soon, Paul, Paul says, I, I want to physically be there, but I can't. And so um, I don't have to physically be there, though, to tell you and show you that I love you. Because look at what it says in verse 19. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? He says, is it not you? Indeed. It is. Paul is enabled to be there physically, but he is not enabled to love. In fact, he doesn't have this inability to love. He can, he can show you that he can love you. And church, we can show you. Listen, just don't always assume that the absence of presence is the absence of love. Don't always assume that just because I'm not there, just because I'm not physically there, doesn't mean I'm not praying for you, doesn't mean I'm not caring for you, doesn't mean I'm not thinking about you. Paul says, I'm not physically there, but, but I can be there in a way, and I want you to know that, listen, he says it in verse 19. He says, my crowns aren't possessions, but my crowns are people, so that one day when the Lord shows up, 
That what I have to offer isn't anything that's physical, isn't anything that's necessarily tangible, isn't anything that's material possession-like. He said, it's people, it's you. And so when the Lord returns, my crowns aren't anything that I've gained or anything that I've earned, but my crowns are the people that I've ministered to, the people that are still standing firm in the faith. He says, the, so, so just because I'm absent physically doesn't mean that, that I don't love you. And just because I, I'm sending Timothy, you know, a lot of times we want to reach places that we can't get to. So what do we do as a church? We, we raise up some pastors. We raise up some leaders. We raise up some disciples to, to, to go to the places that we can't go to. And so Paul says, just because I can't be there and, and I'm sending Timothy to find out what's going on does not mean I don't love you. Does not mean I don't care about you. You, you are, he says, are, are my crowns. I will present you, not, not a possession, not anything that I've gained, I will, I will present. I will present you. So look at verse, we get to chapter three in verse one now. And, and what we're gonna find here in chapter three is as we read the letters that, he, that we, we, Paul writes and we hear back from Timothy of what's going on in regards to a church that is caring, how do we know that they care? Well, there's two things that we find here. There's a concern and there's a burden. Somebody say concern. And somebody say burden. There's a, there's a concern and there's a burden. And so the first we're going to find out that there's a concern. A concern for what? Let's look in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And so we sent Timothy, who was our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen you and to encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Somebody say trials. That's going to be important. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way as well as you know. Verse 5, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, again, here it is. I just could stand it no longer. I wanted to know. I wanted to find out. I have a tremendous care for you. I could stand it no longer. I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. There's a concern here that we find. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is, I'm gonna go old school. I'm gonna go two big points and two little points between each point, all right? So big point number one is a church that cares has a concern for spiritual growth. Would you want somebody concerned about your growth? Spiritually, physically, mentally? If you don't have any accountability, if you don't have anybody pushing you on, then uh, you might just not grow. And so if you want to find yourself growing spiritually, well, that's why we say things like small groups. That's why we say things like, you got to show up to church, but don't just sit. You got to serve. You got to go into your workplaces. You got to be sharing your faith. We're going to see, we're going to see some spiritual growth in your life, but there's some things you, you probably got to you probably got to do. And so Paul is saying, I have a concern for your spiritual growth. He said, I need you to be strengthened. I need you to be encouraged. I can't be there physically, but spiritually, you guys are not done. Just because you've stepped into the faith, you've accepted Jesus, does not mean it's over. Does not mean it's a one-time deal. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, let's go. I'm in in heaven, I can do whatever I want. That's not how it works. Paul says, I want to I see some spiritual growth. How, how do we know that they were growing because they were? Well, number one, here, here'd be the, the, the little point, number one. Number one, they accepted the trials. They accepted the trials. He says in verse three, we sent Timothy so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Somebody say trials. 
For you know, come on, say you know. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. So, so, you, so Paul is saying, I know you already know this, that these trials that you're facing, you, you've already accepted it. You know, it was in 2021, we were in 21 days of prayer and fasting for the very first time. And I had a friend who showed up to our church that one Sunday. And he was like, Jacob, I'm all in. He was like in between churches. He was struggling a little bit. And he showed up to church and, and uh, he's like, I'm all in. I'm going to be at every prayer service. Well, he never showed up at one of the first services, but he was texting me because he couldn't make it. And he was living, he had some distance with his drive and some things going on. But uh, he's like, I'm, I'm going to be faithful. And he was letting me know. He was sending me like testimonies and videos of what God was doing. But that 21 days of prayer and fasting, it projected him into start living the way that God had intended him to live. And, and he called me one day. He's like, Jacob, I got to tell you the story. He said, I woke up and I stepped on my carpet and, and there was, there was, um, my pet had gone all over the carpets. And then I walked into the kitchen sink that I had the coffee that was making. The coffee overflowed onto the counter, onto the floor. My sink, the plumbing was, there was an error in the plumbing. Everything was overflowing. And he's like, the enemy, Satan, is attacking me today. And I, I, I laughed for a second. And I was like, well, this guy's pretty serious. Because I was like, is, is it really Satan, you know, attacking you? Um, or is it really coincidence? And whether it's coincidence or not, all those things, what they were doing was causing him to forget about the one thing that he was faithful to, to lose fellowship to the one person that he was faithful to. And what he allowed was a, a couple small things. He allowed the enemy to come in and convince him that he wasn't worthy, that he wasn't doing something right. But he immediately was like, but, but this is good news. This is good news. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I hate this. And then he laughed and he said, but I'm ready for it. Come on, I'm ready for it. My question for you, church, is are you ready for it? Are you, oh, I'm not ready for this. You know, I just got saved, and I didn't think I was going to experience any difficulties in life. I thought this was just going to be easy. I thought I was just going to show up to church, get some coffee, sing. I didn't know that there was problems in church. I didn't know there was problem people in church. I didn't know now I was going to have issues. I didn't know that my sin was going to continue on. I thought that my sin just left me. I thought that once I got saved and I, God forgot my sins and cast them to the east as far as the west, that I wouldn't sin anymore. But then you quickly realize that sin is still there. The enemy still wants you. He wants to destroy you. He wants all of you. And so part of this spiritual growth, as Paul is saying, he's like, you, you, you accept that the trials will be here. You, you have to accept, oh, I, I didn't expect any affliction to come my way. Well, you haven't read Psalms. Every verse in Psalms, all 1,000 verses in Psalm 119, but specifically Psalm, Psalm 34, 19, when it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Come on, anybody thankful for the afflictions of the righteous? But that's not all, because he says, but the Lord will deliver you out of all of them. Come on, somebody, I just, I'm thankful. I wasn't ready for it, but Paul is saying, but you, you have accepted it. You know, if you go to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, Jesus is preaching, and uh, he's on a boat, and he's with all his disciples. And they have this incredible moment. He's teaching things that nobody has ever heard before. And then all of a sudden, they get on this boat, and they head to the other side. But while they're at sea, a storm comes brewing. The disciples are freaking out. It's interesting that sometimes at your greatest moments with Christ, your greatest mountaintop experiences, as soon as you get off that, sometimes that's when you're at your weakest. You know what I'm talking about? Like you've just had this amazing experience with God. And now all of a sudden, the enemy has put every weapon against you. He has done everything he can now to get you right after that. 
And, and, and so this is what happened. This was happening. They just had this amazing moment. They're now on a boat, and they're fearing for their life. We're going to die. This is a life or death moment. By the way, Jesus is sleeping on the boat. And they're like, we're going to die. This is it. This is over. What's happening? What's happening? Somebody's like shaking Jesus, like, get up, Jesus, you know? And Jesus gets up, and then, boom, just rebukes the wind and the wave. I don't know what you are going through, but whatever it is, I want you to remember this, that Jesus is on your boat. Jesus is on the boat. Come on, Jesus is on the boat with you. Sometimes all you got to do is look around, and there he is. He's there. And he's not, by the way, his sleeping isn't, oh, I didn't know what was going on. He knew what was going on. He's there. And even though you think sometimes God may be sleeping up there, oh, he is, he is there. He is present. He's on the same boat as us. And, 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 and Paul's like, you, you guys get this. You, you understand this. this. This makes sense to you. You're experiencing the affliction. I think about Deuteronomy 28.7. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but they will flee from you in seven. And so the enemy, I know, will be crushed under my feet and one day will be crushed for good. And so I, I hold on to that. I accept the trial. I know it's coming. I know it's there. But I also know that Jesus will deliver me out of this. The present suffering that we are in, Paul says in Romans 8, 18, is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Man, I'm, anybody suffering today? Anybody experiencing some things that you just want, you want out of here? You just, God, I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't, I don't want to be a part of this. Lord, I'm just... I'm, I'm lonely, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm, I'm an anxious God, I'm, I'm suffering. Well, what Paul is saying is there is no comparison between your present suffering and the future glory that is coming. There is no comparison at all. So we get, we, come on, tell somebody next to you, just stand firm. Come on, stand firm. Keep believing, keep accepting, but know who's on your boat and who's going to free you from it in Jesus' name. I'm okay with it because I know the glory Accepting the trials as part of our spiritual growth. And uh, Paul's recognizing that the people in Thessalonica are there. But here, here's the second one. Not only did they accept the growth, but they avoided the temptation. They avoided the temptation. Look at verse 5. He says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter, Satan, had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and he has brought good news about your faith and love. I, I, I was hoping, I was hoping and praying that you didn't fall back into the sin that God once got you out of. I was just hoping that what we established, and because I had to leave, was still was still there. That you were still doing good. I was hoping that you didn't fall right back into the sin, that you didn't allow the tempter to defeat you again. I was just hoping, but now that Timothy has got back and told us that you haven't, I am, I am well pleased. I am so grateful. Remember, um, the people in Thessalonica were experiencing suffering. They were in a season of persecution. As soon as they accepted Christ, the enemy was after them. As soon as they started to believe in the Messiah, People were kicking them out of those places. That They didn't want anything to do with them. So they, they were experiencing the affliction. They were experiencing the, 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 the trials. And, and they had the enemy after them. The enemy was out to convince them of otherwise. The enemy was out to exploit the suffering that was going on like he often does. 
Because if, if he can get you to a place where you are weak, listen, if he, can, if he can weaken you, then the enemy will ruin you. If he can get you weak, he can begin to ruin everything in your life. If he can get you alone, if he, if he can get you no longer equipping yourself with the word, equipping yourself with the things of God, then he's going to ruin you. You remember in, in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve and God's like, all the trees you can have except one tree. And there comes this serpent, Satan. And what does he tell Eve? He says, Eve, God doesn't really want you eating from this tree. God doesn't want you to eat this. And he said you're going to die if you eat this tree. Eve, let me, let me flatter you, Eve, because that's how the enemy works. He uses flattery. He says, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because God doesn't want you to know what he knows. God doesn't want you to feel what he feels. And that's how sin is. God is holding back on you. And then Eve, what she began to do is lust after the fruit. She began to lust after the knowledge. She started to crave it. She started to want it. Why? Because Satan got her questioning. And write this down. If he can get you questioning, he'll get you compromising. If he can get you questioning all that you believe, he's going to get you to start compromising all that you believe. If he can get you to question the word, if he can get you to question your salvation, if he can get you to question your purpose, if he can get you to question all those things, you're going to find yourself one day compromising because you started questioning. And when we question, we compromise. Satan deceives. He devours. He does it with flattery. Paul says, I'm just, I'm just so afraid that you're going to buy into the flattery. Again, this is, a, this is a man who has such a concern for people avoiding sin. Meanwhile, how do we respond when people we know sin? Oh, it's, we'll get over it. That's fine. Or do we have a burden? Do we have a concern to say, come on, I need you to get out of this. I need you to get out of this because your soul is way more important than the temporary satisfaction that you may feel. I need, you to, I need you to get out of it. Paul's like, I am so pleased to hear that you have been avoiding the flattery, that you have been winning at the tempting of the enemy. Church, have you been winning at the tempting of the enemy? Or do you find yourself questioning and then you find yourself compromising? It's important for us to understand where we are with that, but it's also important for us to understand that other people are aware of that. How are you compromising? How are you questioning? How, how, do I, how do I not compromise anymore? Well, Paul says in Galatians, here, here's how you do it. You walk by the Spirit, and you will no longer gratify the desires of the what? Flesh. So I walk by the Spirit, and I will no longer desire or, or, or gratify the desires of the flesh. So how, how do I combat this? Man, I'll, I'll walk by the Spirit. I stay close to Jesus. I stay close to this thing. And the more I find myself closer to God, the less I find myself closer to sin. Because now I'm so consumed. Listen, can, can I give you a passage that may, may change your life or may, uh, if you haven't heard it, it may change your life. If you know it, it just be a reminder for you. But this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 
Listen to this. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. In fact, there is no temptation that you have not experienced that Jesus has not. That's what he said in his word in the wilderness. And he says, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more, somebody say more, more than you can stand. And here's the good news. Come on, when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Amen. Come on. Anybody thankful that God is providing a way out? Even when you think there is no way out, there is. All you got to do is just look. He's there on your boat. He's there. God is providing a way out. You think, man, I'm just so consumed with my sin. There's just no way I can get out of it. There's just no way I can avoid it. Jesus says in Scripture here that there is a way. You just got to look for it. You just got to ask for it. There is going to be a way. I know in your own mind and your own flesh and where you at, you are no match for the devil. But Jesus showed up and he said, I can do this for you. I can do this with you. In fact, I did it in the wilderness. And how did I do it in the wilderness? By saying this, by sticking to the word of God. And what happens when I walk by the spirit? What happens when I develop a passion? What happens when young people want to stay pure? Well, well, what does it say? David says it in Psalm 119. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to this thing. Here's what I know. As long as I can stay hungry for God, I won't have an appetite for the devil. As long as I can stay hungry for God, come on, as long as you stay hungry for God, you will not have an appetite for the devil. And so I want to just consume myself with this. I'll wake up and read it. I'll wake up and I'll kiss it. And I'll say, God, I just want, I just want all of this. I know that may be weird for you, but this is, this, is, this is everything to me. This is everything to me. In fact, this Bible, I got it at 18 years old when I graduated. The one before that was like a color animated one when I, got, when I was saved when I was eight years old. And I, I think I need to advance my spiritual knowledge of the Bible. You know, I need something real. And so I got this when I was, uh, when I was 18 years old when I graduated. And uh, I've sent this off two times to get it recovered because it's just getting fallen apart and broken. And so I, I sent it off and I'm like, this, this thing, I, I, could, I could not lose this. And even I was, I was when, I, when I sent it off to the guy, it takes like four weeks. And uh, I told the guy, and I was like, I, I'm, not, I'm not over-spiritualizing this, please. Do not think I'm some holier than I are. But I, I love this thing. And I was like, this is, this is hard for me to give to you because I'm not going to have it for a couple weeks. And so I got I to pull out the, old, the other Bible that I uh, never read, and, and I got to start reading that. But, but this thing is, is, is the only thing that I have in my possession that is changing me and that is, and that is allowing me to stay on the path that I'm supposed to stay on. It's this thing right here. Some of you got it on your phone. That's cool. But some of you have it in your hand like this. That's this. When you put it in your backpack, some of you got that big old, like, you know, that one that's like, that's like heavy. Anybody have like the, the really big one, like the big Bible? I'm like, what? I can read that from back here. Like, yeah, I think those letters are so big, you know? <laughs> and you still got glasses on. You're still trying to read it. I'm like, man. But whatever it is for you, <laughs> I love this. And I'd encourage you to highlight it. I'd encourage you to underline it. I read other commentaries. I write things on it. I've got things like highlighted. Like this is, man, this is, uh, this, is, this is good to me. I hope it's good to you. But I want to stay hungry for this so I no longer hunger the devil. I want to stay hungry for this so I no longer want the devil. I want to crave this and I want to have an appetite for this so I don't crave and have an appetite for the devil. And I find myself doing that. When, I, when I'm all in this, I'm no longer in that. Amen. So don't be shocked when, when the pastors of the church are saying, hey, what's going on in your life? Don't be shocked when the leaders of the church or, or members that you've given permission to um, are, are showing up to your door saying, hey, how are you dealing with sin? 
How are you combating sin? How are you dealing with the trials that are presented um, in in front of you? Are are you dealing with them? Are you working through them? Are you praying through them? So don't be shocked. As a church that cares, we may ask you what's going on in your life. What's going on in 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 your sin life? I want to help you. I want to restore you. A church that cares is has a concern for spiritual growth. His trip to Thessalonica, Paul would say, was not in vain because the report that I got back from Timothy was good news. Let me give you the second one. A church that cares has a burden for longevity in the faith. Look at verse 6, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. I'm going to read till verse 10. It says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news and your faith and love. He has told you that you always have pleasant memories. Of us, and that you long to see us, just as also we long to see you. I just feel like I'm like in a movie, and you know the guys in war, and the wife is like, I just long to see you, and I just hope that you long to see me. You know, I just and that this is this is Paul. I just I just desperately want to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all of our distress, the persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. I'll conclude with these two verses. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of God? Anybody have joy in the presence of God? Come on, I just, I, joy to me is a, is, is a huge component. It's a huge weapon for me to fight spiritual warfare. And I fight it with laughter. I fight it with joy. I fight it with, you know, comedy sometimes. I'm like, I'm, you're laughing at me? I'm laughing right back at you. I got the joy of the Lord. That is my strength. And so he says, I, I, we have the joy that's in the presence of God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. There, there's a burden for the people in Thessalonica. There's a burden to see this, this longevity in their faith, the continuation, the durability. It, they want to see it lasting. He wants to see it continuing. He didn't want it to be a one-time thing and it, for, for it to be over. He was like, I just want to know if you're still, and this is the first thing that we find. Number one, this is a little, little point. Number one, they were still believing. He said, I'm so glad to hear. This is what he said in verse 7. In all of our distress, all of our persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your what? Your faith. Paul said, we, we're getting persecuted, but the only thing that's encouraging us is the fact that you still believe in God. I'm so glad. I mean, you may have people 10 years from now or maybe 10 years ago that you meet today and you find out they're still believers and you're like, oh man, this is so good. My time with you wasn't wasted. I have students who I've known since fifth grade. Now they're in college. They're still believing. My time with you wasn't wasted. It's so good. But it wasn't that they were just believing. This is number two. They were still standing. They were still standing. This is what he said in verse 8. Now I can really live because you are standing firm in the faith. You know, it's a, you can believe but not be standing. You can trust but still be trapped. You can say, God, I want you to, I want this word to change me and get me out of this place. And I believe it can, but you're still in the hole of sin that you once were when he picked you out of it. You're back there now. So it's one thing to believe, and belief is a very important part because that's where it starts. It's the foundation. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But belief isn't the goal of the journey. There's more. Somebody say more. There's more to it. Now that we believe, that belief leads to action. It leads to doing. It leads to partaking. It leads into walking. It's, it's, it's sanctifying us daily, not just a one-time thing. 
But even that, belief that leads to action, still, still isn't it. Because a lot of us can just keep doing and doing and doing, yet we've never really, we've never really been in it. We've just have done. Even certain religions will say, you have to do everything, even suicide. So somebody like that has done everything, but it's not, it's not just about doing. There's so much more than just believing and just doing. There's so much more than just the belief or the act of belief. There is the act of remaining. Somebody say remaining. In fact, turn to the person next to you and ask them, have you remained? Have you? You see, there's, a, there's the act of believing, but there's an act of remaining. Because it's in our remaining. Listen, church, it's in our remaining that we will still be standing despite whatever it is that we're facing. My belief will get me only so far. Because as soon as the persecution comes, ah, ah. Who's Jesus? I don't know who that Jesus is. Peter said it how many times? Three times. He believed in Jesus. I said, I can believe that's good. I could even do it. I could just show up to church. I'm the best church shower upper. I'm here all the time. Let's go. I haven't missed one Sunday, except when the dolphins were playing every Sunday, you know, for the, you know, I've, I've just, I'm here all the time. But uh, even that, there's something about believing and there's something else about remaining and you know I would uh when I was younger I'd show up to the beach how many love the beach we were we were in south Florida the paradise of heaven on earth down here you know except some of the people are a little bit strange but uh the beaches are beaches are great and so you know I always go to the beach and I, I uh was like let's see if these waves can knock me down and you know so I'd stand on the shore and I'd dig my feet into the sand and, you know, a wave would hit me. And if it was a pretty big wave, it knocked me over. But I'd position myself in such a way, I'd dig my feet deep enough in such a way that a wave would hit me, it, it wouldn't knock me down. And I'd push a little forward. And I was like, I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm show these waves who's boss. I'm going to stand up here. Well, you know, now that I'm a father and I have kids, they do everything you do. And the problem is they mimic not just the good things, but they mimic the bad things. Listen, my son is saying things that I'm like, did I, did I say that? Probably my wife. My wife definitely said that. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, these kids are just, just identical to me now. They're identical to us. They say the same things we say. They do the same things we do. And so, you know, my kids, now my, my older son's four, but he'll, he'll show up and he'll try and stand next to me. But every wave that'll come will knock him down because he's not big enough. He's not strong enough yet. He's not tall enough yet. He hasn't dug his feet in a little deeper yet. He can't do that yet. But the one thing that he knows that's going to prevent him from falling, that's going to keep him from standing, all he has to do is what? Grab my hands. Come on, church. I just want to tell you today that we serve a God who is bigger. We serve a God who is greater. He is stronger. His feet is a little bit deeper in the sand so that whatever comes your way, if you're holding on to the word of God, if you're holding on to his hand, you can stand. Why? Because you have remained. You have remained. I think some of us, man, we're just so far. We, we once were close. We're so far. But God's hand is here. God's hand is here. Paul's like, I want to see you remaining in the faith. Church, VLC, we are here to see you remain in the faith. We have a burden for lost people, but we have a burden for you to, to live out this life. And as Paul said in, in, uh, in, in 2 Timothy he finished his words. He is, he's, this is what he says. This is what he, he begins to pen. He says, I have fought the good fight. Come on, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And, I, and 
And he goes on, and I'll finish the verse in just a second, but I, I just, I want you to know as a church, my dad and the leaders in this church, we, we want to see you through. We want to see you holding on to the hand of Jesus. That's it. You know what's crazy is, you know, when you're, when you're new in the faith, my son's still young. I, I could have I just carried him the whole time. He would have never fallen. But uh, that's, not, that's not my goal is to carry him through everything because he's, he's gonna figure it out himself. But I'll never let him go. I'll hold his hand as long as he needs until his last breath. And so what ends up happening as we begin to spiritually grow, our feet get a little bit deeper. Our grip gets a little bit tighter to the hand of Jesus. And so we, we have a burden to see people at the, put up that verse again in 2 Timothy. We have a burden to see people, if God would allow, to see you through to the end of your days, to your last breath. When you say, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race, verse eight. Now that there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also those who have longed for his appearing. That's, that's our hope. That's our, that's our hope is to not just say, hey, come to church. We can lead you to the Lord or we can encourage you or, you know, give you some money if you need some help. But I, I, listen, as a church, I, I want to be more generous this year. I know my dad, we've been talking about giving more to missions. Man, we want to give more to the needs of this church, the needs of the people here. So we want to do that. But we want to we, we want to just show up to your door one day, unexpected. <laughs> As my dad says, just food. If there's food there, I'll show up. We want to show up and we want to say, are you still living? Are you still standing? Are you still remaining? I want you to see this through and I want to see you through it. Jesus hasn't given up on you. We're not giving up on you. Other people may have given up on you, but we're not giving up on you, church. We're not giving up on you. We want to see this to the end of your days, if God would allow. We want to see it. We want to see you remaining. Paul says, I'm so encouraged to see that the people in Thessalonica, when I started the church, I had to leave. You know why I had to leave? Because of persecution. I can't get back because of Satan. So I sent Timothy. Timothy gave us a good report that you're not only still believing, but that you're still remaining, that you're still standing. I want to see a church 10 years from now, 20 years from now, still standing. Come on, I want to see people in this church, whether you go, whether you move, still believing, still worshiping, still having a burden and a concern for growth and a burden for the lostness of the people around you and the, and the burden for the people who are far from God and who are getting further from God to just show up to their house and say, I'm here to help you bring you back. Come on, some of you need to pick up the phone today. You need to call some people and say, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm still praying for you. Some of you need to show up to some people's doors and knock on their door and say, I'm still here for you. I can help you. I I still love you. Let's do this together. Come on, let's do this together. Some of you need to reach out to some people, need to have a burden. Say, God, would you ignite a burden in me like I had before? Would you ignite a burden in me to love people like you've called me to love them and to never give up on people like you've never given up on me? Come on, if you're thankful that God has never given up on you, would you stand to your feet? Come on, if you are thankful that God has never given up on you, some of us have a lot of sin. Some of us have a lot of mistakes. Some of us, if your business came up on this stage, people might leave. But I'm thankful that if our business, which God already knows, was out there in the open, that God would love us even more sometimes. I just think God is saying, listen, bring your burdens. I love you. I care for you. Bring your burdens. I want to be here for you. You just have got to lay them down. And I want to correct myself because I don't think God is loving us more, but I think God is wanting to just perhaps show us that he loves us even more, that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he's a plan for us. 
And so I just wonder if God is igniting a concern in some people's hearts today. I wonder if God is igniting a burden in people's hearts today to say, you know what? I'm not giving up on people. I'm not giving up on some friends. I'm not giving up on some family members. I'm gonna keep praying. I'm gonna keep asking and I'm gonna keep believing. I wanna see it to the end of their life that they are faithful and when they die and when I die, that Jesus would look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. God, I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. And the, what I get to present to you, Lord, is not possessions, but people. That's what's happening in the church of Thessalonica. They were concerned about the spiritual growth of the people, and it was evident. It was happening. And they had a burden for the longevity of their faith. So my question for you is, do you even care about that? Do you even care about that? Do you want to be in a church that cares for that? Do you want to be a family that cares for that? Because if you do, all it takes is saying, God, give me a, give me a burden. Ignite the passion. He'll do it. And you'll be shocked about what'll, what'll come next. God will start putting people in your life that you were like, I, I was not ready for this. And God will say, yeah, you were. You asked for it. You asked for it. So get ready. Come on, tell somebody next to you, get ready. Today, we're going to start caring. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Jesus, today in this room, Lord, would you begin to ignite a passion and a burden and a concern for not only your word and to stay true to it, but to care about those around us who we may have forgotten about. And Lord, if there's anybody under the sound of my voice today watching and online, if you're saying, you know what, Jacob, I, I, I don't know who this Jesus is. I haven't been able to remain because I haven't really known yet, but I feel the tug at my heart. Scripture says that God will knock at the door of your heart and you're to let him in. And it's acknowledging, Lord, that, I, that I've made many mistakes. I'm a sinner, but I'm in need of a savior. Some of you are broken. You've been searching for answers and you've been looking in the wrong places. You've been looking at the wrong people. You've been looking for it in relationships. You've been looking for it in entertainment. You've been looking for it for things that'll pleasure you. You've been looking in the wrong place. God says, I'm here. I'm right here. In fact, I'm in the same boat as you. Let's go. I'm, I'm, I'm here. So if that's you today, and you're saying, Jacob, I know that I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Would you pray this prayer? Heavenly Father, come on, repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, come into my life. In fact, church, would you pray this with me? Would you change me from the inside out? Make me a new creation. Forgive me my sins. Help me to change my ways. Help me to focus on you. Help me to start living for you. Today, I will serve only you, because you are my father, and I'm your child. Come on, and everybody said in one loud voice, amen, amen. Come on, can we give God some praise? Can we worship him? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.